Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report. The usual crew here with you alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I am your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, the Sun Devils coming off a big 68-55 win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders at well, Sun well, Devil well. Stadium on Saturday night. Well, well, well is right. More of a basketball score there. ASU, Texas Tech. We knew it was going to be a shootout, but I don't think anyone anticipated that the Sun Devils would score that many points. Last week on our Sun Devil Source Premium Report podcast, we both predicted Texas Tech would win. And that's probably because we didn't foresee ASU scoring 68 points and having the type of breakout offensive performance that the Sun Devils put together on Saturday night. Even after Texas Tech gave up 50 points or more in in five games last season, you didn't think that ASU was going to come out and hang 68 on this opponent. And uh, the first game, Texas Tech seemed to be a little bit improved on defense. They added a couple D1 transfers at the line of scrimmage that uh, figured to maybe help their rushing defense. Last year, they were last in the pack in the Big 12, pardon me, uh, in rushing. So I thought that Texas Tech would put a lot of points on the board with Patrick Mahomes. I thought ASU would have a, a pretty good offensive performance, but not to the level that it did. I think that was equal parts bad defense from Texas Tech, really atrocious if we're being honest. And then Manny Wilkins and Chip Lindsey doing very well, ASU taking maximum advantage of its red zone opportunities and winning the turnover margin, which is something that uh, we talked about in the last uh podcast as well. Now, I think some of our perceptions were jaded because it was a week one film that we saw ASU playing an FCS opponent in Northern Arizona, Texas Tech playing an FCS opponent in Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin was just four and seven last year. So the Texas Tech defense really thought that it was going to be much improved after really shutting down those lumberjacks. But ASU was able to expose Texas Tech later on, especially in the second half when Kalen Balazs just bulldozed past the entire Texas Tech defensive front. So really, what did we get right in our prediction? What did we get wrong? Let's talk about that. And let's let's break this down game a little break this game down a little further. Well, I think first of all, it's important to note that the earlier in the season, the harder it is to prognosticate. And the reasons are you haven't seen the uh, teams on film that much. They have new personnel that are going to be important to how they're playing. Uh, you have some coaching changes that affect everything. So there's more guesswork earlier on, and then the more and more that these teams become uh, known and the way that we watch film uh, is very meticulous in the analysis component that we do. Uh, last year, I tended to watch probably three games of each opponent that ASU would play every single play before we put together our prediction. So we knew coming off of last season, ASU was going to be uh, challenged at, in the secondary. Passing defense was last in the Pac-12. That proved to remain to be the case, particularly in light of a couple injuries and some things that they're trying to do to, to mitigate that. Uh, we knew that Texas Tech wasn't going to have a good defense, but we thought maybe it would be improved to some degree. Manny Wilkins' play in his first game against a FBS opponent was going to be something to really spotlight and figure out, is he ready to play at this level at a very successful rate, or is he going to still be struggling and growing? Uh, he did a lot better than I think we would have anticipated primarily because he didn't turn the football over. There was no jeopardy throws. He was very accurate delivering the football. All those things are really important. The ASU ran 90 plays, only five in which there was a negative play. That includes penalties. That's operating at a very effective level. They were seamless with what they were trying to accomplish with Chip Lindsey. So he had a tr tremendous game. And that kind of all came together 
to uh, put an ASU offense on display that put up a lot more points than we had anticipated. So let's break down Manny Wilkins' performance. The sophomore quarterback goes 28 of 37 for 351 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions, not even a ball in jeopardy all night long. And Todd Graham has preached that throughout his four-plus years into his fifth season at ASU, how important it is to protect the football. And Manny Wilkins was excellent in that capacity on Saturday night. And really, throughout the game, he was able to hit his first read because Texas Tech's defense was unsuccessful at defending ASU's wide receivers. It was giving the Sun Devils plenty of cushion. Even Nikhil Harry, a freshman receiver, had a lot of cushion to work with. We saw him have a big game, I believe six catches, 72 yards for the Sun Devils. And ASU just was able to do whatever it wanted through the air, which was pretty interesting to see considering that it was just Wilkins' second start. And the Sun Devils really didn't get their offense rolling until the second half against Northern Arizona. The game is a lot easier for a quarterback when the play calling is precise and good and when the quarterback's first read is open on a very consistent basis. Uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks, and this isn't to take anything away from Manny Wilkins, but there's a lot of quarterbacks out there who aren't great players at the highest level who, who would have been able to have been successful against what we saw from Texas Tech's defense. A very conservative zone coverages on first and second down. Then they would come with more uh, man uh, uh, bump at the line of scrimmage on third down situations, but the the buffer that they were giving to ASU's receivers uh, early was just um, un, you can't you can't win when you're doing that against any kind of decent receivers. And Manny Wilkins did a really good job of getting the ball out on time with pace and accurate. If, if you're if you have those three things, you're going to be successful against this type of a defense. Uh, Texas Tech plays this bend, don't break, try to make a quarterback throw into zones and and turn the football over. The best thing about Wilkins' performance, besides the fact that he was getting the ball where it needed to be in a hurry, was the decision-making to not have any kind of jeopardy throws. But again, it's kind of like a balance because he didn't, wasn't put into situations where he had to make difficult reads. And there was uh, open receivers that he missed sometimes, but it's almost better to just throw a ball away as opposed to maybe potentially put it in jeopardy because you're looking around to find something. So I think he executed to the degree that they wanted him to in the way that they wanted him to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be his normal performance once ASU starts playing against much tougher defenses. Now, we both thought that Texas Tech was going to have an improved pass rush with the additions of Pipkins and Hill, the transfers from Michigan and Notre Dame, respectively. And be better against the run to some degree. But And that really wasn't the case on Saturday Not night. Not at all. Texas Tech was unable to generate any pressure. So do you credit Arizona State's offensive line, or is Texas Tech really just that bad defensively? Definitely a combination of those two things. They went to a, the 4-2-5. I mean, pardon me, they went to a 3-3-5 defense. That's kind of their base look. Uh, Pipkins is, is, a, is a decent to good um, uh, nose tackle, but uh, A.J. McCollum in his first start for ASU did a really good job physically at the point of attack. He got his hands up quick. There was a lot of violence there. He had a, a, a successful game manipulating Pipkins. And as you said, Kerry, they didn't bring a lot of pressures despite being in a five defensive back look. And they, But they also didn't cover with any degree of effectiveness. So how are you going to be successful unless the opponent that you're playing commits unforced errors? And AC really didn't commit any unforced errors on the offensive side of the football. And that's kind of what was successful. And I think, once again, back-to-back weeks, 
Good game plan by Chip Lindsey. Uh, he didn't do anything that made his quarterback make challenge decisions or difficult uh, plays. And um, they just executed in a, in, a, in a really effective, efficient way. They didn't try to get too cute. They didn't need to do things uh, like, you know, uh, throw the ball down the field too much. They had the flea flicker, which was which was a, a neat wrinkle that they put in. And then the, uh, the sparky formation, which we're going to talk about later, ended up being a very effective look that Texas Tech had no answer for. So his performance, talking about Chip Lindsey, I think is what really enabled everything to kind of work. Yeah, 68 points, the third most ever in ASU history for the Sun Devils. Manny Wilkins, like we said, 28 of 37, no turnovers, 350 yards through the air for ASU, over 300 yards on the ground. That's as successful as a game as you can have if you're Chip Lindsey as the offensive coordinator. But looking at Manny Wilkins' performance after evaluating him in week one and now in week two, knowing that he gets kind of a, a sieve of a defense in UTSA in week three and then Cal which hasn't impressed at all on the defensive side of the ball in week four are we going to know much about Manny Wilkins overall capabilities before he gets to play against really the the cream the crop in the Pac-12 USC and UCLA come October well one of the things that I always kind of notice is that fans and media get far too involved in making predictions based upon too small uh, data set of information. So in the first half of the the <laughs> game, our Twitter is blowing up with people criticizing Chip Lindsey and saying, oh, maybe Todd Graham made the wrong decision with his offensive coordinator higher. And it was almost laughable when you look back at the end of the game and you see the score. The same thing is going to be true with Manny Wilkins. People are coming off of this game. ASU fans, they want to believe that Manny Wilkins is going to be the next Joe Montana. And so that's kind of where they're going to you know, feel, especially after a game in which his first big start, he they put 68 points on the board. That's understandable, but uh, you need a lot more information, a lot more starts to be able to say how a quarterback actually is in terms of his overall capability and competency. When you're able to just sit back, make your first read, throw the ball accurately, and then you rack up 600 yards of total offense, that's not very hard. So I think... Uh, he, the first performance was kind of average, but um, they shrunk it down for him. The second performance was very good, but it was against an atrocious defense. Uh, they're going to get two more games in which they're playing against bad defenses, and he's probably going to put up big numbers and look really good. But we're not going to really know about where he's at until they play some more difficult Pac-12 opponents, and he has to start coming back to a second and third read, making uh, decisions on the fly. Uh, that are much more challenged, and I'm interested to see how he does in that regard. I, I think that October matchup with USC is going to be fascinating because Clancy Pendergast knows how to challenge a young quarterback. Maybe USC doesn't have the ship righted just yet, even though it scored a big victory over Utah State on Saturday, but USC's scheme will be the most complex that Manny Wilkins has faced to date in his career. So that'll be a great tool to evaluate how he performs. Now, before we get to ASU's running game, one thing that we do have to note is the Sun Devils and their offense were able to start in good field position throughout the night because Texas Tech was consistently starting in bad field position. The Red Raiders started five different drives inside their own 10-yard line. Three punts from Matt Hawk were down inside 
the, I believe, the seven-yard line, and then Manny Wilkins down to punt inside the two-yard line on a pooch punt. And really, ASU's special teams performance was as dominating as we've ever seen during the Todd Graham era. There was really only the one glaring mistake, which was Fred Gamage with the personal foul on the attempt to block a punt. But other than that, ASU special teams was tremendous. Uh, You look at Zane Gonzalez, every time he wanted to put the ball into the end zone, he did pretty easily. There was no kickoff return to speak of. ASU didn't even have to attempt a field goal because it was scored a touchdown every single uh, opportunity that it had. But Matt Hawk, the progress from his, his first year at ASU till now is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, I think that uh, ASU has to be, have one of the best special teams units uh, in the Pac-12, particularly when you factor in what Tim White's capable of from a return standpoint. And that field position battle shouldn't be underappreciated in the significance of a game like this because Texas Tech's offense is so potent when you make it have to go 90-plus yards on more more than one or two drives in order to score touchdowns, that's a huge factor. ASU won that battle quite handily, and that was a, a, a major component of the outcome. And you, when you consider that Texas Tech had a safety, it was on a, a play right after Matt Hawk down the punt inside the one-yard line. So that just goes to show that ASU was actually able to get some points off of its special teams efforts on Saturday night. Field position turned out to be huge for the Sun Devils. And as we said, Zane Gonzalez also had that kickoff after a personal foul from Texas Tech where he intentionally popped it up into the right corner and kind of goaded the Red Raiders up back into taking a fair catch at the seven-yard line, which is just bad spatial awareness. They also, Texas Tech, had uh, fielded a kickoff that was inside the at the four-yard line, I believe, or maybe it was a punt mm-hmm. at the four-yard line which that should never happen. So certainly ASU won that special teams battle pretty handily. They tried the onside kick, which didn't work in the in the first half, but in a game that you're probably going to see a huge offensive output, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. So let's talk about Kalen Balazs' performance. It's hard to believe we've gone nearly 15 minutes without mentioning the running back who tied the NCAA record for touchdowns in Whoops. a game. Eight touchdowns on Saturday night. That all? Six out of the Wildcat formation that ASU is calling it Sparky formation. And just one of the f- most physically impressive, dominating goal line performances we've ever seen from an ASU back. And the stats go to show that was one of the best performances ever at the goal line in college football with just what ASU was able to accomplish. It wasn't just that they were having success in that Wildcat formation. It was how efficiently they were doing it. Every time they trotted it out, the Sun Devils scored. Texas Tech's soft defense was just splayed open and totally gutted by ASU in that situation. And I've never seen anything like it. And, of course, that would make sense given that it was an NCAA record, eight touchdowns, (laughs) the most – uh, points scored by an ASU player in history, the most po- the most touchdowns scored by an ASU player in history. I took a look at the box score after. I just couldn't even believe it. We'll probably never see that again in our lives, and certainly not in person at Sun Devil Stadium. I, I, it's almost impossible for that to happen. But uh, it wasn't just that the formation was impressive. It was 
all the variations of things that they can do out of that formation. And we didn't even see some of the things that they can do. For instance, you had Demario Richard in a stack alignment. Uh, he's behind Christian Hill, who, by the way, had a pretty efficient game considering that he was on the field seven times, seven plays, and ASU had six touchdowns on those plays. Uh, I don't know if that's worth burning the red shirt or not, but, that, <laughs> but, but that's what they did. But you could uh, easily have an option kind of a, a rollout for uh, for Kalen Balaj with Demario Richards. So you have two running backs together. You could have Kalen Balaj fake like he's going to run and a tight end uh, who shows block ends up in the end zone and throw it over the top. You could maybe throw even some other type of a route. Uh, they ran uh, – power with it they they, they uh, Balaj gained the edge on a play they ran almost like a counter power which was one of the most impressive play calls yeah, that, that wildcat counter play was as good of a play call as you will see in college football yeah it's that I mean that was like the equivalent to just breaking their ankles and spinning them into the turf because at that point Chip Lindsay had them totally spinning Texas Tech fans after the game were wondering how come that their defensive coordinator is not made available to the media uh, because he probably would have been just lit up in uh, after a performance like that. So the different elements of this formation, ASU going with almost a single wing look. That's really what the Wildcat is. Manny Wilkins, the quarterback, is split out wide. That's really so that ASU is not tipping its personnel. But when Christian Hill comes into the game, it's pretty obvious what the Sun Devils are going to do. They're going to try and run the ball behind him. So you have Hill as a lead blocker, multiple tight ends in the game. I think they they had three tight ends. No, two tight, two ends. tight ends. Hill. Demario Richard is the other lead blocker, and then Kalen Balaj back in that Wildcat set, getting the getting the snap in shotgun formation and taking it in. Why is Kalen Balaj the back back there, and why is Demario Richard not the back? I'm not sure. I just think the the potency from a from a size to athleticism standpoint and his speed. Uh, is a, is a good factor. Maybe, maybe he's a better passer of the, <laughs> of the football, which we didn't even really see come into play. Uh, Demario Richard, I think is a better max protection blocker and just mm-hmm. a better blocker probably overall. So, uh, he enabled some of those touchdowns as a lead blocker. So I think that's another part of it. It's just a few little subtle things. They probably could do it with Demario Richard there as well. But Kalen Balaj also probably has more speed to the edge. That's exactly what I was going for. So, so you, so you look at all three of those things and then maybe that all kind of combines to be be the determining factor in what they ultimately do you can't uh, uh, fault it whatsoever and how about Demario Richard being a great teammate this is a guy who is a thousand yard rusher last year he's really the primary back coming into the season and he takes what is basically not just a a a, a backup role to Demario Richard but he's out there blocking for him as the guy goes out and scores six touchdown touchdowns from the formation uh, and then after I saw something on social media where he was talking about you know grown man play and, and NFL routes and NFL runs and he seemed to be pretty fired up about it um but just uh unbelievable and 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 texas tech um that that formation was really uh typified their overall defensive struggles in the game now we've already said that manny wilkins uh probably will fare well against utsa and cal can't imagine it not happening you have to figure the goal line formation of that wildcat look is going to fare well as well because asu just has so much size and potency with the speed of kalen balage to really outmatch utsa and cal in that regard well it's a numbers advantage the reason you're doing it is you don't have to have a quarterback because your quarterback's not as much of a run threat. So and they're going to have to defend the 
the quarterback who's uh, split wide, uh, just in case they do something with that. So uh, when you're playing against UTSA and Cal, those those defensive fronts aren't going to probably be able to handle it either, even if they have time to prepare. And the other thing that I really felt like coming off of this game was imagine I remember what ASU had with Mike Norvell and the the Michael Eubank package and how that was so talked about and really totally unsuccessful ASU did more in one game with this Sparky package than we saw from the the Eubank package in however many two years I guess that they operated it uh, another in a building list of signs uh, that Chip Lindsey is an impressive offensive coordinator. So six touchdowns out of that wildcat formation for Kalen Balage. One touchdown on a 75-yard run late in the game that was just one of the most impressive bursts of speed we, we've seen from Balage so far during his ASU career. Walk us through that run. He's so explosive, and the, what we've said, actually we talked about it on the podcast last week, is it comes down to the offensive line creating opportunities for him to get quickly onto that second level where he can make that back or miss. Uh, that, that play was a stretch zone or maybe kind of an outside zone. He read it, got his foot kind of in the ground and turned it upfield. Uh, nobody really touched him much until the safety Johnson, uh, who's a outweighed by 50 pounds, got a hand on him at the shoulder. But that's never going to bring down Kalen Balage when he has that type of speed. This is probably the fastest guy in the open field. And I think that this performance vaulted him not only into maybe people talking about him as an outside Heisman candidate because the numbers could end up being pretty ridiculous, but also... Uh, he's on the NFL radar certainly mm-hmm. now as a 230-pound back at 6'2 or 6'3 who has that type of speed. He really is a pro-style player that you want to get the ball to on sweeps and uh, opportunities for him to kind of read where he's going and then explode up. And and that was something that they took advantage of in this game. Now, the other touchdown that Kalen Balaj scored was a very interesting play call from ASU. Not really sure it even needed to run a trick play against a Texas a Texas Tech defense that just had problems all night. But second and one from the Red Raiders' 39-yard line early in the game, and Chip Lindsey takes a risk. He goes with a double-reverse flea flicker. Tim White pitches it back to Manny Wilkins, who hits a wide-open Kalen Balage down the field. What did you think of that play call? Probably better to have saved that for <laughs> when they maybe really needed it. But I, I just think that Chip Lindsay knew, hey, I'm just going to put some stuff out on display. After the first game, we talked about just how vanilla the play calling was and how that was a big part of it. They just body blowed him. They ran the ball like 70% of the downs when you look back at the end of the the game. In this game, it was a a different kind of approach. There was a lot of screens and getting the ball in the perimeter early. Uh, There was a couple little wrinkles, the the trick play, and then the the, uh, sparky formation. So he was just like, hey, we're just going to show a bunch of stuff. We're going to have to make you prepare for those things, and then probably we'll do some other things that you haven't seen in subsequent games. I think he's always going to have some different uh, things up his sleeve. And I I think uh, when you consider that he ran a trick play, but yet overall the play calling 
was physical, aggressive when it needed to be. They spaced them, then they ran it. At one point in time, they ran the ball 17 out of 20 plays. They didn't put their quarterback in any kind of dangerous situations. I just was really impressed by Chip Lindsey and the way that he managed and had an overall sort of uh, approach to how he wanted this game to unfold that then uh, really was executed. Now, it's pretty difficult to criticize Mike Norvell when ASU was finishing consistently in the top 15 in the country in scoring average, but there were certain times where Norvell would take chances when it wasn't necessarily the best situation. We both thought he took too many low percentage chances on second and long situations, which would set up third and longs for ASU. Chip Lindsey called this trick play second and one 39-yard line, and really the best opportunities for trick plays are in between the 35-yard lines in the middle of the field and in second and short situations because ASU had a situation where it knew that it was going to run the ball right past Texas A&M, or Texas Tech. I keep calling them Texas A&M because that was last season's season opener, but right through Texas Tech. We'll forgive you. <laughs> and so I thought that that was just the opportune time to, to really make that play call, take that risk, because... The way it was set up, Texas Tech wasn't even getting pressure on Manny Wilkins, so you're probably not going to get a loss if that doesn't go well in the backfield. Plus, Wilkins can just escape with his feet, something that ASU didn't really have the luxury of if they were going to run that play with Mike Bercovici last year. You made a great point when you started that um little soliloquy that you went into <laughs> there. but No, but uh, I, I think Mike Norvell did take too much criticism in light of what ASU's offense overall was able to do and the how many games that they won. But that said, I do agree that he took some too much risk um, at the wrong situations. At times that when they could have easily run the football and just sustained drives, he put them in um, bad down a distance uh, situations where they had to make third and long or whatever. And um, so that that was an issue. The goal line stuff, I think, was an issue. We haven't seen either of those from Lindsay to this point. There was uh, two third and threes that I wasn't sure about the play call when I watched it live in the first half. But in the second half, I didn't really see any kind of issues. And even, I, even uh, reflecting on those, I, I understood it totally. Uh, I just think he just did a phenomenal job. I, I don't. I can't really say it enough. But, but it's going to get way tougher. Yes. When they start playing against teams that are not only have much better athletes, but also bigger bodies on the line of scrimmage, and uh, better defensive coaching. So we've already analyzed two of the big numbers: sixty-eight points for ASU. Eight touchdowns for Kalen Balaj. The other big number, a bad number for ASU, and that's 55 points allowed against Texas Tech. You know the Red Raiders are always going to get theirs, but 55 points is probably too much for ASU, especially considering all of the defensive breakdowns that took place in the secondary. Not probably. I would say that's definitely too much. They gave up 8.2 yards per play. 600-plus yards of offense. Patrick Mahomes had 350-plus yards passing in the first half mm-hmm. and four touchdowns with no interceptions. We've been wondering all offseason what this defense was going to look like philosophically in light of Todd Graham saying he's handing over more of the responsibility on play calling to Keith Patterson. We saw glimpses of that in camp when they played a cover three, more conservative. They've almost run no cover three earlier on in their tenure. They came out in this game in the first half. They sat back in the zone. They rushed three players quite often, sometimes four, 
almost never five. They played uh, cover three. They played some quarters coverage. They played zone underneath, man underneath. They were trying to account for Mahomes' athleticism and uh, play extension ability. And nothing really worked. Mahomes was able to just carve them up. There were some breakdowns. There was some uh, poor uh, execution of reps. Guys not getting checked early in the routes when they should have. Guys uh, uh, seam stretchers in in some of the coverages. Mahomes is too good when you have defensive backs uh, who are not that experienced going up against that. Tyler Wiley was really in over his head because it's his first game against this type of an opponent uh and uh asu also put so much stress on its secondary because of the way that they communicate and they move things around uh even even when an offense shifts and motions they're adjusting on the fly almost right up to the snap so even if they are playing a a zone there's still a lot of different things that are happening pre-snap that they have to account for they didn't do a good job at all in the half but they then in the second half they started dialing up more pressures. They did things to keep Mahomes unsettled, more unsure of his reads, and having to make decisions more quickly. And then, as a result, uh, Mahomes had two interceptions in the second half, only one touchdown throw. Uh, his uh, total yards passing was cut in half in the second half, even as they needed to throw the ball more because they were further behind. And so you have to say that the second half was pretty successful overall for ASU's defense. Now we're talking about a potential first-round draft choice in Patrick Mahomes for Texas Tech, but nevertheless, ASU probably rushed three players more in the first half than they did in the first four years of Todd Graham's tenure combined at ASU. Maybe, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the ultimate sign of respect for Patrick Mahomes. How much of that do you think was Texas Tech's offensive scheme and respect for Mahomes, and how much of it was ASU missing key personnel in the first half? No Salamo Fiso, no Christian Sam, no Marcus Ball, and Laya Mokiola really didn't make an appearance in the game until the second quarter. I think it that definitely came into play, but this was almost like a proving grounds to see. Let's play some different coverages. Texas Tech's probably going to score a bunch of points, but we can get a better assessment of how we're able to execute some of these things. Um, you knew that without Lyle Mokiola back to full strength, no Marcus Ball for the first half because of the, t- the targeting disqualification that he had, not having Salamo Fizo. That's still not really what ASU's defense is going to look like totally from a personnel standpoint. Uh, they uh, tinkered with the idea of playing an extra defensive back uh, situationally. They ended up really having three linebackers on the field quite a bit. Uh, they used uh, Karan Crump in, in several different roles, both as an edge rusher, also lining him up almost like a mic alignment to have him try to attack the A-gap. He really had no success getting through in that regard. They used A.J. Latou and uh, D.J. Calhoun as bump players uh, on receivers or coverage guys where they had to get to certain spots. They put they put their players into some really challenging situations, even when they were playing conservatively. At least at a minimum, they're going to get a great uh, ability to evaluate and look at this. It was a big advantage to be able to play a non-conference air raid offense where you had a passing uh, running threat quarterback like Patrick Mahomes when subsequent weeks they'll be playing Cal and Washington State who have this these same schemes but without that uh, pass, uh, pa- rushing ability of the quarterback. Uh, and so I think in that regard, uh, uh, 
it was a phenomenal evaluation game, a big test for ASU's defense against this type of a team, and something that sets them up really well to have a, a great September. Now, to put into perspective what kind of a conundrum ASU was in personnel-wise, here's the players I counted who made appearances at Sam and Will. DJ Calhoun, Marcus Ball, Two, Carlos Mendoza, three, Malik LaWall, Karan Crump, AJ Latu. Am six. I missing anyone there? I don't know, but I was going to have a hard time keeping track of it if you kept going. I mean, AJ Latu practiced in fall camp at Devilbacker, played against Northern Arizona at really a defensive tackle technique, and then all of a sudden is the Sam linebacker. Yeah, and they were moving him out sometimes where he was uh, against trips formation and having to like guard a receiver. <laughs> And there's no way he's ever done that in his life. So it's like, hey, AJ, by the way, we're going to have you go out there and go one-on-one against a receiver with Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball all over the place. That is really hard, man. And he actually did a pretty good job, all things considered. I don't know that Salam Ofiza would have done significantly better in that type of a role because it's not the best uh, type of uh, opponent to be playing for Fiso anyways. The two-game suspension is something that he shouldn't have happened as a senior leader, but uh, they got to 2-0. It was a, an opponent that probably he wasn't really needed for anyways. I do think that they need to get Mokiola back healthy because mm-hmm. they have continuing issues at Spur, probably the biggest question mark. And we didn't talk about Deshavon Hayes, who has held up relatively well, all things considered, not too many busts. And then Mahomes threw two interceptions. Todd Graham even said the ball kind of went right to him on both times and unforced errors. But he was there and he made those plays. Hey, that's how Kareem Moore became a freshman All-American last year. Right place, right time, because Kareem Moore had plenty of coverage busts as a safety last year, but he put up those six interceptions, led the Pac-12 in that statistic, and Deshavon Hayes with two picks, right place, right time, nearly took one back all the way for a touchdown, got the ball inside the one-yard line. That was big for ASU, but I think all the personnel mixing and matching kind of underscores how difficult it was for ASU with its limited personnel to defend against Texas Tech. It came out with a lot of eight-man coverages, and really that's even hard to defend the five wide receiver route concepts for Texas Tech because you just have guys running to open space. That's what the air raid offense is about. So ASU was definitely able to have more success when it went back to kind of its trademark Todd Graham, Keith Patterson pressure schemes in the second half. Karan Crump picked up a critical sack, set up a third and long situation for ASU. And Mahomes is a guy who likes to roll around in the pocket. So if you get him on the move, as ASU did twice, that's when the interceptions come. And ASU ultimately finished plus two in the turnover margin. And we did say, even though we picked Texas Tech last week, if ASU was able to finish plus two in the turnover margin, it would probably win this game. Totally agree with that. Um, there's no doubt that Mahomes was much more unsettled, that Texas Tech wasn't sure of itself, that when it was forced to get the ball out more quickly uh, versus sitting back in the zone and having more time to kind of read it, that ASU's defense improved significantly. And that probably will lead Graham to trying that approach. And it's very... Um, ironic because against uh, David Webb when he was at uh, at Texas Tech in the Holiday Bowl, they tried to pressure him, and the result was one successfully completed quick slant, another uh, rapidly uh, route after another, and they just torched ASU. So against the same opponent, different quarterback, they were able to have more success doing it, and this quarterback is every bit as good, if not better, than the player they'll face in David Webb 
at Cal now this year. What, what just really stands out to me is I remember in that 2013 Holiday Bowl, ASU loses 37-23, and it felt like the Did you sky have that was... in your notes, or did you just know that? <laughs> I just know that. Encyclopedia I can tell you, tell you the scores of pretty much every game I've covered. 37 points for Davis Webb and Texas Tech. And it felt like the sky was falling for ASU because it gave up 37 points. Then they go out and give up 55 and get a victory. And it's like, oh, maybe this defense is making improvements because of that second half performance. Such an important point about how the mind works with when framing an argument. And yeah, okay, a lot of people uh, who are ASU fans are going to say, hey, the defense didn't do well, but ASU won. And so you, you don't have that that outpouring of anger and frustration that would have happened had ASU lost this game 55 to 51. I mean, imagine if, imagine if Wilkins has a good game and ASU yeah, offense still played just, just relatively well. Yeah. Imagine if, loses. imagine if ASU's offense looks good and plays well and ASU loses 55 to 51 or something and how that would be received, which is f- two fewer touchdowns on the board. Just crazy to think 55, about it 54 way. whatever so uh patrick mahomes ends up throwing for 540 yards not the air raid record against asu jared goff threw for 542 last year in cal's wow. victory so asu made a two-yard improvement and ultimately comes away with a with a win before we get to our pac-12 takeaways from the weekend any final thoughts on this contest i just that i think you need to be even keeled if you're listening to this don't get too high. Don't get too low. We, we've talked to you in the past about Jake Plummer early in his ASU career. They're 15 and 18 as a starter in three seasons. Manny Wilkins did had a good job, but there's going to be some hurdles along the way that he'll hit and maybe stumble a little bit. That's going to be an inevitability. ASU's not winning any national championships this year. Really? Yeah. Don't, <laughs> well, I don't know. Cameron Balazs had eight touchdowns, so I, mean, I guess anything's possible. But, you know, really the, the, the point is don't get too overconfident in any individual take uh, unless you see a larger trend start to develop against in more games, against different types and different caliber of opponents all right asu 68 texas tech 55 the sun devils 2-0 moving on to a short week against texas san antonio they're on the road in the state of texas but before we leave you from this podcast let's break down the pac-12 really quickly chris only about three minutes left the pac-12 south looks like it is up for the taking this year usc with a route of utah state following just a devastating performance for the trojans against Alabama in week one. UCLA needed time to pull away from UNLV. UNLV. Uh, Utah just barely snuck by BYU. A BYU team that just beat Arizona and mm-hmm. Arizona didn't look good. So maybe that's part BYU, but it's also not a good sign for Utah and Arizona. Utah, really strong defense. I know they turned it over at least six times in that game and still came away with a win. Quarterback is, play has been a big problem yeah, for them. Troy Williams, years. Utah, or uh, Washington transfer is starting there. UCLA won 42-41. Um, the other score of note, Cal loses to San Diego State 45-40 to in a track meet. And that's a game that ASU will have. Cal's a dumpster fire. Cal's a dumpster (laughs) fire. Uh, Washington State 0-2. Yeah. Now losing to Boise State 31-28. Lots of questions about where. Probably finish 9-3. Yeah. (laughs) Remember lately they lose to Portland State last year and then go on a great run. Yeah. Uh, How about Arizona being down, what, 21-0 to Grambling Grambling State? Grambling's not a good team. 
Grambling is has to be not in the top 100 college football teams in the country. No. So for that to happen is bad. I think ultimately you're going to have um, better play from the teams that are more talented as they get more experience going along. That's probably USC, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Washington. Uh, Washington. Yeah, Washington might have actually had one of the better performances, 59 uh, 14. to 14 yeah, against Idaho. Idaho. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we're just still getting our sea legs here with getting a read on the Pac-12, and we'll have a lot more information on that in another week or two. We'll have so much more on the ASU-UTSA preview on our Sun Devil Source premium report. It's going to be a blowout. This week. <laughs> Chris saying it's going to be a blowout. Early the prediction. is actually under three touchdowns right now. I think it's going to be bad, but You're we'll saying see. hammer the Sun Devils on that line? Well, we're going to talk a lot more about it on the premium, but just UTSA at the line of scrimmage has released a lot of struggles and uh, a QB... Uh, situation that's very unsettled where they're playing both guys. I like to talk about common opponents. Colorado absolutely routed Colorado State. Colorado State then defeats UTSA. So that's just a quick note on that game. But we are out of time. That will do it for the Sun Devil Source Report from week two of the regular season, recapping ASU and Texas Tech. For Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman, I am your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Please go ahead and rate us in the iTunes Store and the Google Play Store, wherever you're listening to us. We'd love to hear your feedback, especially in the Devil's Sanctuary. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and stay tuned for the Sun Devil Source Premium Report, which will come out later on this week.